It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you're dead. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. You can also tune in on various podcast platforms. He's Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow. Good to be with you for the next 60 minutes. We can interact with you multiple ways. 201-939-4513. That is the telephone number. That is option number one. Option two, head to social media. Use hashtag GiantsChat on Twitter. You can also directly interact with us and follow us at Lance Meadow. One word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants WFAN. In a little bit, we'll hear from Joe Judge. We will be bringing you his Thursday press conference live here on BBKL. The coordinators, Jason Garrett and Patrick Graham, spoke to the media a few minutes ago. So we'll recap the ins and outs of what they had to say. And, of course, we'll look ahead to Sunday's matchup at Soldier Field against the Chicago Bears. Paul, how's everything on your end today? Oh, good morning, Lance. I guess things are going okay. You know, it's uh, kind of weird when you get a Monday night game. It kind of throws everything off for the rest Indeed. of the week. I really kind of felt like yesterday was Tuesday all day, but it wasn't. <laughs> and I'm kind of feeling like today is Wednesday, and it's not. <laughs> I am completely with you, so I can relate to what you're going through <laughs> with respect to every single uh... component. But let's start with the coordinators and Patrick Graham and Jason Garrett spoke to the media. Graham was first, and he was asked a lot about the perhaps miscommunication or issues that led to Steelers wide receivers getting open because of those rub routes and corners colliding. And he admitted, he said, listen, I got to do a better job preparing that group. We've got to be more on top of that. But he also admitted, and I think this is what every coordinator is going through right now, Paul, now that you have a game of film to operate on, based on what you're seeing that teams are doing in 2020, gives you a little bit more substance as opposed to the guessing game and are teams going to adjust based on what they did the previous season? Are they going to carry over what they did from 2019? It was a lot of a feel-it-out type of process, I think, in week one across the board. Well, Lance, I think everybody who you've ever talked to has always said that you will learn more from a loss than you will a win, correct? Absolutely. Okay. So now the Giants obviously have a lot to learn. Uh, 27 new players on a 53-man roster, virtually an entirely new coaching staff, without any preseason games. This was basically for them, I hate to say it, but it really was kind of, in a lot of ways, served the function of a preseason game because they now have a feeling for each other. They have a better idea of what they want to do and what they can or cannot do. It's just a darn shame that, you know, it had to happen on Monday Night Football in a game that counts against a very, very, very good Pittsburgh Steelers team. Okay, so they're 0-1. But in all honesty, I believe from the very get-go that week number two was going to be much more important as we try to determine what the Giants are than week number one. 
as they continue to make adjustments and so forth. And the adjustments now is going to have to come up against a team that is very shifty and very elusive. When you look at the Bears personnel, it's not a duplication of what Pittsburgh is working with because between David Montgomery and Tariq Cohen, they have more of a one-two punch in the backfield as opposed to Pittsburgh. Had Connor not gotten hurt, I don't think you would have seen nearly as much as Benny Snell. And also in terms of their receiving core, Allen Robinson, one of the things Patrick Graham brought up is his catch radius. And Paul, from looking at that Lions film, he made one significant grab that was just unbelievable where he stretched out and was able to help out Mitchell Trubisky. So we know what he's capable of doing. Anthony Miller caught a lengthy touchdown down the right sideline as part of their fourth quarter comeback. And then also Darnell Mooney, who's a rookie wide receiver on the smaller side at 5'11", but also somebody that I think they're going to start to expand what he can do each and every game. They got a lot of speed on this offensive side of the ball, the Bears. Well, you know, you really can't forget about Tariq Cohen either because since the beginning of the 2018 season, he is tied for third amongst NFL running backs with 152 pass receptions. He is very, very much a part of what they want to do in the passing game. And, you know, sh should we not also mention Jimmy Graham? I know he's not what he once was, but the guy can still go out there and make some plays. I agree with you. I think that when you look at their versatile personnel, you can't dismiss and you can't overlook anybody. Cohen's receptions went down last season. His usage wasn't nearly as high as it was in 2018, but I think they're going to try to tap back into 2018. So he's certainly a key guy. But I guess where I'm getting at is I think this is a game, I would argue, Paul, on both sides of the ball for the Bears defense as well as the Giants defense, middle of the field. The play of the linebackers, I think, is going to dictate a lot because both of these teams, you can argue, between Saquon Barkley and Tariq Cohen, from what we saw in week one, can look to attack the middle of the field with their versatile backs and the speed that they have maybe off the edges. I would agree with you. I have a tremendous amount of respect for Roquan Smith. And, of course, Trevathan's yeah. been a tackling machine forever, going back to his days with the Broncos. Uh, very, very productive and active linebackers. Those two guys, though, I mean, they just get all over the field. They've, they've got tremendous range. And, you know, I, I agree. I agree. There's no doubt in my mind the Giants need to be concerned about those two fellas. And on the other side of the ball, well, I just talked to Blake Martinez for the uh, MSG First and Ten show specifically about Cohen. And he's like, the guy is just so unbelievably shifty. If he gets out in space, it's it's a nightmare to try to get him because he's, he's just so quick. So, I, I, I yeah, I don't have a problem with what you just said. The linebacker units on both sides of the ball are going to have a very heavy hand in who wins this game. Well, and here's why also the linebackers are critical. Not to say that Ben Roethlisberger can't move. I mean, he did have that 11-yard run, but Big Ben is not nearly as mobile and elusive, I would argue, as what Mitchell Trubisky is going to bring to the plate. And if you go back and you watch the fourth quarter of that Lions game, even earlier in the game, and I know he wasn't nearly as efficient in the first three quarters as he was in the fourth when he had a rating which was near perfect, near 150, and they ultimately scored 21 points with three touchdowns, but his ability, Paul, to get out of the pocket, elude defenders, extend and stretch plays, 
that falls on the linebackers being well-disciplined in terms of their eyesight and not over-committing, as well as, of course, the secondary. But that, to me, is going to be an extra facet that you want to see out of this defense that I would argue they didn't really have to deal with so much with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I would agree with that, Lance. It's the, the ability of the quarterback to do things outside by the numbers which Ben is not really going to do a whole lot at this point in his career. That's just not part of his game. Certainly, Trubisky will try to make plays out by the numbers when he can. He's not afraid to throw it on the move, and he certainly, you know, uh, is going to have to move because I don't believe very heavily in that Bears offensive line. And if the Giants' defensive line plays as well as I expect that they will – Trubisky is going to have to have some sneakers and track shoes available because he will need to move and run a lot. That Bears offensive line that you just hit on is pretty much intact from 2019. The only difference is Kyle Long, who was hurt actually the last time the Giants played him, he has now since retired, so Jermaine Effetti is the player now taking over at right guard. They signed him as a free agent, the former Seattle Seahawk. Other than that, the four other guys were with the Bears when they played the Giants last season. The big difference is Cody Whitehair now is back at center after they mixed and matched him with James Daniels at left guard. They've got now the one-two punch in the backfield, so stopping the run is going to be critical because I think the last thing you want is to allow Mitchell Trubisky, Paul, to get comfortable because Mm -hmm. when he gets comfortable, he's a dangerous quarterback, okay? You can't dismiss that. But if you now tell him, hey, Mitch, go out there, throw the ball 45 times, you know, that's where things could get very dangerous for the Bears. And that, to me, is where you want him if you're the Giants. You cannot let this become a game where it's Montgomery and Cohen putting on a show game in and game out, drive in and drive out. Without a doubt. And you should mention that while there is a great deal of continuity on the, on the Bears' offensive line, this is a mobile quarterback who was still sacked 38 times last season. So, you know, in this, in this particular instance, great continuity may not be to the Bears' benefit because they needed some upgrades on that line, and they really didn't get it. I mean, Afedi did not do very well with Seattle. And their offensive line has been having trouble now for a few years. And they allowed him to walk. That, that to me, is not necessarily a, a great resume builder. Well, I think, though, it also can't be overlooked the fact, and you're right, Trubisky was sacked nearly 40 times, but as you well know, Paul, based on what we saw with guys like Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, when you have that mobile quarterback – number of those sacks are on the quarterback for sometimes just holding on the ball too long. It can definitely happen. There's no doubt. But, of course, remember now, part of the criticism about Trubisky is he's inaccurate. Uh, He's, you know, certainly going to be apt to throw interceptions because he does not throw a lot of really great balls. And then on top of that, you know, you've got a situation where an offensive line is not necessarily one of the better ones in the league. This is why most people don't think very highly of him. The ironic part about this is, and we we always say that the quarterbacks get too much praise and they get too much blame. If you can believe this, he's actually won 20 of his last 30 NFL starts. Yeah. And I think any quarterback in the league would take those numbers. It's just that we all have this perception, you know, that he's just kind of one of those guys. And I understand that, but the numbers still say that he's won a lot of games. 
they won 12 games in 2018. So they had a really good season his second year. And that was, of course, the first year that Matt Nagy took over. Remember, John Fox was the head coach in 17 when he was a rookie. He didn't start that entire season. So he learned one offense as a rookie. Then he has to learn a new offense his second year. They did thrive. 19 was a setback across the board for the entire Bears offense. Yes. but. They're looking to get back to 2018 form. But there's no doubt about it, Paul, as you hit on. The Bears have won more than they lost since Mitchell Trubisky and Matt Nagy teamed up. And now he's got a new offensive coordinator in Bill Lazor. So it's not what they were 100% working with in 2019. Some new voices. John D. Filippo is their new quarterback's coach. He's got ties to Philadelphia within the division. So it's going to be very interesting to see what this Bears offense looks like this year compared to what we saw back in the latter part of the season when they played the Giants. I go back and I look at that last game in which the Bears beat the Giants 19-14. There were a few lengthy drives for the Bears, and there was one early in the game where Trubisky was picked off in the end zone. So that was one that certainly came to note. And the Giants, if they go back and they look at that game, Paul, the big turning point was Khalil Mack's strip sack of Daniel Jones that took away a possession from the Giants and also just a lot of three and outs. There wasn't a whole lot of continuity on offense from the Giants' perspective. Now, when you look at this Steelers game, you, of course, have the 19-play drive, but I think if you're the Giants once again— you're looking for more substantive drives here in week two compared to what they showcased on Monday night. Well, a couple of things that really hurt the Giants in that game, if you really want to compare that particular Bears team to this one, is that they did not have, if you'll recall, Evan Ingram was not in the lineup. That's Caden Smith was in there. And he only caught a handful of balls for, for 17 yards. Uh, you know, he was still kind of new into the starting lineup. And, you know, uh, they had lost a lot when Ingram initially came out. Smith, of course, wound up producing more as the season went on. And then the other thing is, and you don't want to hear this, but I have to tell you, Saquon Barkley, you know, was held under 60 yards rushing in that game. Yep. And it wasn't very pretty. I mean, they did a really, really good job of stuffing things on the inside. And it wasn't just because, you know, that they played good D, it was also because they were extremely aggressive. Eddie Jackson and and HaHa Clinton Dix were constantly flooding the box to make sure that Barkley had no lanes to pick through. And that's the one thing that the Giants need to be careful of in this game. The Bears are not a heavy blitz team characteristically. And so I don't think they will do what the Steelers did the other night. I said that on the show yesterday. It's just not in their DNA. However, it doesn't mean that they didn't look at the tape and say, hmm, I know it's not what we do, but it really gave Barkley a lot of trouble. Maybe we should try to mix in some of that stuff. Maybe we should throw an extra guy or two in the box just for laughs and giggles and see how it works out, which is why, in my mind, it is very important for the Giants to either, A, hit them early with some deep passes so that you scare them out of doing that, or, B, if they are going to do it and you want to establish the run, well, make sure you're on your P's and Q's. You get a hat on a hat. Block the stuffing out of them 
and make sure that Barkley is able to find a couple of creases and burn them with some runs early because that's the last thing in the world that the Bears want to see. That will throw off everything they want to do if Barkley starts putting up numbers in the first quarter. Well, and it'll completely open up the field, you'd hope, for Daniel Jones. The other thing that is important to note from that first matchup last season that you're referring to. And by the way, this is actually the third straight season that the Giants and the Bears are meeting up because remember in 18, they met the Bears at MetLife Stadium. That was that crazy game that went to overtime. Mm -hmm. So we'll certainly get more into that matchup. But right now, Joe Judge is addressing the media. Let's listen in to the Giants head coach. Hey, coach, we just jump right into questions. Perfect. Great. Hey, guys. All right. Hey, Joe. <clears throat> How's it going? Good. Um, I know going back to your, you know, really one of your foundation pieces of your philosophy with your staff is, you know, about players. Don't tell me what they can't do. Tell me what they can do. Absolutely. I'm just curious, <clears throat> the evolution of that, how much of it is trial and error? How far do you go before you kind of pull the pin on a guy and say, you know what, maybe you can't do what we're asking to do? Uh, and I mean that across the board. I'm just curious from your you know, philosophy, how do you balance that uh, challenge? Yeah, I think there is a fine balance, Art, between developing somebody in a certain role and seeing how they fit within a scheme and then determining where we put them in a position to play that doesn't fit them. I think we're still early right now in what we're doing. Obviously, the first game the other day, we're not ready to pull anybody out of anything we're doing at this point. That being said, it's about favorable matchups for these guys, putting them in a position to be successful. We're always trying to give ourselves any kind of advantage we can. You know, there's there's always something you identify with a certain guy. Let's not ask him to do this. But I think we're early in the system right now, still are, to turn around and, and just say about any one of our players, let's eliminate his opportunity to do X, Y, Z. Thanks. Dougie? Hey, Joe, uh, you know, the Giants and the Bears played not too long ago, but I'm curious, how much do you gain from, you know, did you look back at that matchup? I'm sure you did. Just how useful is that for, for this game? I think the biggest thing that helps you from watching last year's matchup is some of the similar uh, players we have on the roster and some of the ways that they really look to isolate and attack guys who are still on the roster. Schematically, there's some differences, obviously. You try to look a lot in terms of the coordinators, Dan, in terms of the experience you've had against them whether it's going back to the Miami days with laser, whether it's going back to watching some of, you know, Pat's experience in green Bay against the bears, or maybe some of the old new England games to look at some of our defenses, how they've attacked it, how they've used it. And then offensively, you know, how they attack, you know, both our personnel and then also maybe when Jason was at Dallas. So you look at everything you can to gather as much knowledge and then try to form, you know, how you think they're going to attack you and have a plan that fits that. Thanks Joe. Tom Rock. Joe, it's probably been a little overlooked on the outside just because it's usually such a common occurrence, but you you got to take the team on the road this week for the first time uh, with the new protocols, with the new systems. How how What are the challenges there? You know what, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I don't have a lot of concerns about the actual logistics of our team traveling. It's a little bit more just in terms of, you know, fitting the schedule to make sure with the testing, the boarding, the buses, getting the plane, that, that's really the kind of the small things that factor in. In terms of the actual schedule, getting to the hotel, meeting, waking up, playing the game, I love these early games. I like waking up on the road, just getting up and going to play, you know, getting out there and going to see the opponent. So I think we're going to be fine on that. Obviously, in preseason, you gain a little bit of experience for the players to go through. The one thing I think does play into what we're doing is last week, being a Monday night game and being a night game for us, 
we had to stay in the hotel due to protocols the entire day on Monday. That actually simulated a little bit of a road trip feel for us because once we came here for meetings, that kind of simulated the travel part of it. We we're in the hotel all night together doing meetings and hanging out. And then the next day we we're there together doing walkthroughs. So, you know, really the home game last week kind of prepped us a little bit for the away week because of the new rules. I'm sure you're, you're in touch with a lot of coaches throughout the league. Um, what, what were some of their experiences on the road when, when, you, when you guys sort of compared notes? Uh, is, is that what you found, that it was, it was pretty much the same? You know what? I didn't, I didn't hear anything that was really too unusual for them. A lot of it came more into just the logistics on traveling on buses at the airport, making sure the players are spaced out. Uh, some of the airplane seating, some of the coaches mentioned, you know, how they're you know, spacing their players out a little bit differently than in the past. We've discussed a lot of options. We're going to finalize that tonight as a staff in terms of things we think we may have to do. Um, the actual trip with the football part of it isn't what you're kind of dealing with anything different. I think our guys are used to just traveling for football games, whether it be college or, you know, previous years in the NFL, Tom. Right now, it's really the kind of early part of the trip, busing, planes, how you get your food on the plane, little things like that that people always calculate that, you know, we feed these guys on the plane. We're always hydrated on the plane. One of the factors I'm going to have to talk to the team about is, hey, listen, we're obviously wearing masks on the plane. Anytime you have a mask on, it slows down your hydration. And also when you're in the plane, you know, you naturally dehydrate from the air pressure and the way it affects the cells and, and the moisture in your cells. So we've got to make sure we do a really good job traveling with hydrating on the plane, even though we have masks on. So we've got to be conscious of that. Thanks, Joe. We got, we got time for two quick ones. Jordan and Zach. Jordan. Hey, Joe. I was just wondering, uh, we saw Logan Ryan a decent amount on uh, Monday night. I mean, now that he's got another week to sort of digest the playbook, how much more can can we see him? And, and do you expect to sort of expand his role now moving forward? Yeah, we're not going to limit Logan on anything we're doing. You know, as Pat puts the packages together and we see the matchups, you know, whatever we can do to get all of our players involved, we're going to do. Um, but I don't think there's anything that we would hold off on using Logan for. We just want to make sure that whatever package we're putting together – we spaced out to use all of our players and put ourselves in favorable matchups. Appreciate it. Last one here, Zach. Hey, Joe. You guys obviously had a, a tough group to block uh, last week in terms of pass rushers, and this week you have Khalil Mack, obviously, that you have to deal with. I'm curious like, how, how confident you are in your guys' ability to get after a guy like that, and what kind of challenges in particular does he present? Well, I'll tell you what. I'm confident every player we have on our roster, number one. Number two, every week we play, you look at our roster, we're going to have elite pass rushers, and an elite front, you know, defensive tackles on every team we play. So that's just the nature of, you know, our schedule, nature of the NFL. However, specific to Khalil Mack and Quinn on the other edge as well, these are two of the top guys in the game. They're both explosive. They're dynamic. They play with high motors. They do a good job making hustle plays. They put pressure on the quarterbacks, whether it's through strip sacks, you know, flushing out of the pocket, whatever it may be. They're guys you've got to come in. You can't blink. You can't fall asleep. You know, they got high motors are coming on every play. So if you let down your guard for one second, that's going to be a bad play for your offense. So obviously we have a tremendous challenge in front of us. Uh, we will every week, but this week specific to the Bears and their edge pressure, you know, we've got to really rise to the challenge. Thanks, Joe. All right. Thanks, Coach. You're all set. Okay. Have a good one. So that was Giants head coach Joe Judge speaking to the media during his Thursday session. And one of the things that he was just asked about as we were previewing the Bears' defense right before he came on is he just emphasized how critical it is, Paul, to slow down Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn. And Robert Quinn did not play against the Lions because of an ankle injury. He was limited in Wednesday's practice, so that will be something to monitor, as I'm sure the Bears are hoping to get him out on the field because when you have the two of them on the field versus just one, 
it completely changes the dynamics. But in addition to that, as we were comparing Paul notes between last year's meeting and perhaps what the Giants are going to see this year, I think it's also critical to mention that Akeem Hicks, one of their best run stoppers and also a guy that could get after the quarterback, he did not play last season. He was already put on IR at that point in the year with an elbow injury. So they're getting him back. And then Danny Trevathan was a guy you brought up who's a tackling machine, and he did not play last season. Actually, Nick Nick Kutkowski, who's now with the Raiders, filled in for him. So they're actually going to have a number of new faces on this Bears defense this time around compared to last year because they're in better health right now. Well, and don't forget, they have a lot of expectations for their second-round pick, uh, Jalen Johnson, uh, the corner, who, you know— Who played very good against the Lions, by the way. He did. He did. He played well. I, I don't dispute that. He played well. And, you know, we all talked about this being a very deep corner draft coming out. So the fact that he was taken in the second round should not fool anybody. This guy was a blue chipper. And uh, coming out of Utah, uh, they, they've got him in the starting lineup. I mean, he's opposite Kyle Fuller. Yeah. They didn't waste any time in putting him out there. So that's a guy maybe the Giants are going to want to test. Again, he did well last week against the Lions, but... What I saw last week when in watching that game was a team that just was being gouged and gashed by the run, and I thought that the Lions should have gone to it more often. I really believe that their philosophical game plan calling uh, lacked a lot, especially once they got up in the game and it gets into, what, six minutes left in the fourth quarter. They're up by two scores, and they took the, their feet off the gas. You know, and how many times have we seen that, Lance? It's not just a prevent defense that will cost you and allow a team to come back off of the canvas. Sometimes it's a prevent offense, which will cost you a ball game. I don't want to get completely off topic, but what you're hitting on, Paul, I think the parallel in basketball is evident, too. Because the Clippers played the Nuggets in the Western Conference semis, and the Clippers had one big lead after another. And one of the issues I had is taking their foot off the pedal on offense as opposed to the defense being lackluster. So what we're seeing in the NBA, I think you could apply to your point about the NFL, that teams just... They have to continue to have the mindset. And I know it's easy to preach this from a coaching standpoint, Paul, but I envision if I'm in the huddle, I'm telling my team, guys, you may be up by 14 points, but you've got to act and you've got to have the urgency as if you're down by 14 when you play, as if you've got to continue to move the football effectively. You've got to continue to attack the defense. And I do think the Lions took their foot off the pedal. I certainly think that was evident. I also think what killed the Lions, too, is you had the missed field goal, when they were up by 10, okay, and that was an opportunity to further pad the lead. And then after the Bears score a touchdown to make it a 23-20 game, (laughs) you could argue they were a little aggressive in the interception. And by the way, Jalen Johnson, Paul, was the one who forced the interception because his deflection got the ball popped up in the air and Kyle Fuller was able to haul in the football. So, you know, that was a heads-up play by the rookie, and that's all of a sudden how a 10-point lead can dissipate in the blink of an eye because you miss a field goal, you turn the ball over, you don't have that same urgency, and that's how you open the door for the Bears. And let's give Mitchell Trubisky and the Bears offense credit. Those guys took advantage of those opportunities. Okay, but let's not forget the touchdown pass that was dropped at the very end of the game of course, by the yeah. Lions, which in all honesty uh, should have been a Bears loss. There's nothing that they did to win that game when that ball went right through the running back's hands. Yeah, there was no deflection. It was just, hey, the offensive player didn't execute. 
But listen, we could sit here, Paul, as you know, over the course of the history of the NFL, we could play the coulda, woulda, shoulda game. I get it. I get it. So I'm not disputing your point, and it's very valid, but the bottom line is it didn't happen. DeAndre Swift didn't catch the football. And they are 1-0, and the Giants are 0-1, and these are two middleweights now who are going to battle it out at Soldier Field, and I believe the Giants should have every confidence that they can go out there and win this game. A few other things I just want to piggyback off of before we open up the phone lines at 201-939-4513. Jason Garrett also spoke to the media. I know earlier, Paul, we hit on Patrick Graham. And one of the things that Jason Garrett was asked about, really twofold, he was asked about Evan Ingram and wanting him to be more of a two-way tight end and the blocking needing to improve. And he was also asked about Tiki Barber's recent comments the other day saying that, in his opinion, and I'm paraphrasing, he doesn't look at Saquon Barkley as it stands right now as a complete back because of some of the issues in terms of pass protection. And Mm -hmm. Garrett was asked about both of those players in particular in terms of their blocking, and they are going to continue to put Evan Ingram in a position to be that balanced tight end who can be relied upon to aid in the blocking as much as he can in the receiving. And the same thing with Saquon Barkley. He actually mentioned, Paul, that he had conversations with Saquon after the game, and Jason Garrett didn't hold back. He said Saquon absolutely believes that he could have played better in terms of pass protection. He knows it. They reviewed it on film. It's not as if they're shying and hiding away from these factors. It's just like most guys on the offensive side of the ball, I think one of the big takeaways on Monday is, yes, you had flashes, but there's also the yearning for putting together more of that complete game, in particular for both of those guys. Well, I think what we have to remember is that Barkley and Ingram have both had occasions in this league where they have shown they can block. We've sure. seen, I mean, Barkley has not missed on every blitz pickup he has ever seen since he got to the Giants. Agreed? Absolutely. Okay, he's missed a few, and the ones that he missed turned out to be hits on the quarterback, and so everybody wants to point to those because they become exaggerated. So, I mean, so it's up to Jason Garrett as the offensive coordinator and, 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 of course, Coach Burns, the running backs coach, to get with Barkley and say, okay, listen, let's get a look at some of the tape where you missed these blocks, whether it was physical, whether it was mental, whether it was an effort thing. All right, let's figure it out, and let's also show you a real of some of the blocks that you did make. Same thing has to happen with Ingram. And as Jason Garrett said himself, Ingram has shown throughout the course of his career that he has made some blocks. And you and I both know that too, Lance. He is not old for his career on making blocks from the tight end position. But my goodness, you'd think he was with the reaction of everybody around here after Monday night's game. And that's, well, the that's just a lie. It's just not true. Because the problem is is it's a week-to-week league and we over-examine every single game because there's only 16 of them. So we only have one game to operate under as it stands right now, which was the Steelers game. And in fairness, there were opportunities for the Giants to shore up the blocking, which would have prevented Daniel Jones from getting hit or perhaps the Giants' offense from stalling on some of their drives. So, I mean, I think it's valid to say the Giants need to improve in that department. I don't think that's terrible criticism. Not at all. Not at all, but, as but far after as this one Steelers game, you have people out there screaming once again that either Ingram should be off the team or should be a wide receiver and should never be asked to block again. And that's a ridiculous overreaction. Of course, and that is 100% ridiculous. I mean, by the no way, did anybody notice how many blocks that Caden Smith and uh, Levine Toilolo also missed? I mean, they were it in there too. Remember, effort. the Giants ran 50% double tight end. 
They ran 30% triple tight end. And they didn't get it done either. So what do you want to do? Okay, everybody, let's not have any tight ends at all. Let's just blame all the tight ends. And from now on, the Giants should not have any tight ends on the field. Is, is, that, is that what these people want? No, not at all, because the bottom line is you also want to have Evan on the field because of his ability to threaten the defense as a receiver. So you certainly don't want to take him off the field with respect to that. You may want to mix it up in terms of what you're asking him to do, but anyone who's arguing saying completely remove him from the field, I, I think that, that hurts the Giants because you have one less weapon on the field. To the Saquon Barkley point, Paul, what I would argue is, okay, if you want to be critical of Barkley and say that he needs to improve with respect to that aspect— that's fine. Every player, you can argue, needs to fine-tune some of their skill set. But also, you don't want to take Saquon off the field on third down in passing situations because, number one, he's a dangerous receiver out of the backfield. And number two, you still want the defense to start to think about the ability for the Giants to give the ball to Saquon Barkley. And no disrespect to Deion Lewis and Wayne Goleman, but the threat that those two pose is nowhere near the threat that Saquon Barkley poses. So as much as you want to talk about fundamentals with respect to Evan and Saquon, the other part of the chess match, Paul, is when you remove those players from the equation and you then put in somebody else on the depth chart, what is the defense now thinking? And what does the defense do to change things up because they're no longer worried about the threat of Evan or Saquon? Remember, part of a game plan is not just the plays you're going to call. It is how you can threaten the other team. They must have a certain amount of respect for some of the things that they think you might do to them. That's that's every much as big a part of a game plan as the actual play selections themselves. And a lot of times people don't understand that. Now, what the Giants need to do, okay, At some point, very, very soon, and hopefully against the Bears for their sake, they must establish the fact that they can get a running game going. Because the longer that it takes to get a running game going, the less respect and the less fearful defensive players are going to be of Saquon Barkley. No matter how much talent he has, if they don't believe that the Giants can get that wheel turning, they will start to cheat against it. And that's not good. You never want the other coordinator to be able to cheat against one of your your units. Especially since, going back to what we talked about earlier, if one of the Bears' starting corners is a rookie who's only had one regular season game under his belt. Okay, now just think about this. Very different, Paul, from what the Steelers were throwing out there in terms of Joe Hayden, Steven Nelson, Minka Fitzpatrick. Okay, you got a few more veterans out there, even Mike Hilton, the slot corner. So Mike Tomlin and the defense could say to themselves, we can leave you guys out on an island a little bit more because we trust you. You've had a number of games under your belt. I don't know if Chuck Pagano, the Bears defensive coordinator, is going to feel the same way about saying, yeah, Jalen, we want to leave you out on an island a little bit more compared to what the Steelers did. So that's more of a reason why the Giants want to run the football because if you can't run the football effectively, the Bears can then give more assistance on the back end to a guy like Jalen Johnson. If the Giants start doing what the Lions did, rushing the ball consistently, now maybe you got to creep up, add another guy to the box, and now you don't have nearly as much assistance for Johnson on the back end. Interesting thing about Johnson, because he's one of those six-foot corners, you know, he's got some size. 
So he's not going to be afraid of anybody, that's for sure. And I think he showed that last week against the Lions. I didn't think he was very tentative or timid at all. No, he not played, at all. He played with, with uh, some confidence and, and some assertiveness. And for that reason, you know, I think they probably are very happy with his opening day performance. And they may trust him a little bit more than you would think in this game. Possible. But that's why the Giants have to do some damage early so that they can throw some doubt into the minds of the Bears and their play callers as to what they're going to try to take away. Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino with you here on Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Let's open up the lines at 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. You could also directly interact with us at Lance Meadow. One word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants W-F-A-N. Sean is in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. He joins us here on BBKL. What's happening, Sean? I, I like you guys' show, and um, I enjoyed the game on Monday night. Um, I have just two questions. Why did Tiki Barber open his mouth at Ken about uh, the running back? And um, why why is and Ebony Eagle getting all right, Sean. Well, we appreciate you giving us a ring, and thanks for your questions. We actually just addressed both of those very two topics, Paul. So, I mean, it pretty much would be us echoing the sentiments. We brought up what Tiki had to say. We brought up Evan in the blocking. Jason Garrett addressed that on his latest media session. And, you know, a big part of that conversation, too, is, and we haven't heard from Evan and Saquon since that commentary started to come out in the wake of the game, but I think this goes for any player, Paul. The last thing you can afford to do is allow that noise to get to you on a personal basis. You can't get distracted and you can't let that dictate what your mindset is moving forward. So I think what's important for Saquon and Evan is let the noise stay outside. You just focus on the task at hand and move forward and focus on the Chicago Bears. Oh, I don't think there's any doubt about it. I mean, how many times has Belichick reiterated, do your job? And we've even heard Judge say it a couple of times. And I wouldn't be surprised if inside the walls of the Giants facility, that very phrase was echoing at least, oh, I don't know, 5, 10, 15 times over the course of the last couple of days? Yeah. I mean, really, that, that's, that's what they need to do. They need to focus on themselves. We've heard each of the coordinators say to us on the media avails that they need to internally take care of business. They need to focus on what they need to focus on, and they need to help teach the players how to you know, fix what they screwed up in game number one. And, and that's what any really good coaching staff is going to do. That's why Judge decided to collect a bunch of teachers for this very situation so that they could come off of an opening day loss and then go out there in week two and show everybody how they learned from it, how they fixed it, and how they will try to move forward. To me, this is a very, very important game. And I don't want to say it's a must win. I don't want to put all the eggs in one basket of a week two game. But Lance, I think, I really do believe that you're going to see a much, much different Giants team in week two than you saw in week one. And I expect the results to be significantly better. And I think that that's because I have a tremendous amount of faith in this coaching staff. And I also believe that they do have much more talent 
uh, than, than what some people seem to believe. Let's head back to the lines. Don is in Texas, joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Don? Hey, Lance. Hey, P-Dot. How you guys doing? Hi. Doing all right. What's all on your mind? All right. Before I get into the next game against Chicago, there's a couple points I want to talk about. I'm usually quick. I'm going to take a few minutes with you guys, all right? So I'm going to go back to your Barkley and Ingram topic. For me, it's very simple why they're getting blasted as far as blocking, and I agree. They should get blasted for all of that. The reason both of those guys, Barkley and Ingram, are not good blockers, it's very simple. They don't like contact. When you look at the physicality, the way somebody moves on the football field, body language, you can see it in both of them, the way they set, the way they block. It has nothing to do with coaching or that. It's because they don't, they don't want contact. That's why Ingram is dropping passes before the gas gate hit. That's why you see Barkley whiffing. That's why you always see Barkley not hitting the holes and running outside. It's very simple. Don, can, I, can I just interrupt you for one second because Please I think do. this is important? I don't Please think do. any of us can necessarily get inside a guy's head right now and say, okay, this is what they want to do or what they don't want to do or what they're afraid to do. I do think there are certain characteristics that you can look at, and I understand that you can certainly make a judgment off of those. But I would also add this. Tiki Barber was not, not a good blitz picker-upper early in his career. It took him a few years to do it. David Meggett, if you're old enough to remember, was a very small, diminutive running back who, you know, could get, could get pushed over by a sneeze when he came into the league. And by the time he started playing on a regular basis, he learned to be one of the best blitz picker-uppers that I have ever seen on third down. And it had nothing to do with the fact that, oh, he didn't want to do it. It had to do with the fact that he had to grow into the role. So why can't Saquon Barkley grow into the role as he now enters his third season? Again, I wish I could go back into the coaches' files, and I don't have the coaches' files. And quite frankly, I don't keep score. I don't have a scorecard for blitz pickups. But I guarantee you, if I had a scorecard of blitz pickups, you would see Tiki Barber and, and David Meggett were very, very poor early and then improved. And if I showed you Barkley and his scorecard, you would see he's not old for his NFL career on blitz pickups. He's just not. And if you think so, then you haven't watched football because there have been blitz pickups that he has successfully executed. So please let's not talk about the fact that the guy doesn't want to do it or he'll never do it, and for that reason he's either got to be benched or gotten rid of, which a lot of people seem to want to think now. That's preposterous. And I agree with you, P-Dot. I would never say they're going to get rid of him or anything of that nature. But that's well, there's why a lot of overreaction that. going on these days. You understand. I know. And, you can't, and that's why I'm going to get into the Chicago game. But that's why I brought up body language, P-Dot. And that's the only reason I brought it up. Your body language tells you everything on the it football. It does tell you some stuff. I'm with you there. So I'm with you, you there. And that's why you're not going to see much improvement at all with Ingram. I do agree Barkley can get better. But that's a lot of the reason. And you still see it in his running style. He's still looking to bounce every time. That's why he's stuttering his feet. Oh, no, 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 no. no. See, here's the thing about that. He is now running behind three-fifths of a reconstructed offensive line. I don't know how many millions of times I have to tell people on these shows all the time. 
there is a chemistry factor between running backs and their offensive linemen. I know this because Carl Nelson used to teach me this all the time when Parcells was head coach, and Carl would say to me that I would talk to Joe Morris, and Joe knew what I was going to do, and he and he knew, uh, and vice versa. And then Joe would tell me, I knew that when we were going to call a certain play, Carl was going to be able to block it a certain way, and I could immediately go a certain way because that was the only chance we had for that play to work. And he said, and I'll never forget, Joe said to me one time, he goes, you know, Paul, there's this one play that that they used to love to call. Earhart used to love to call it. And I knew that Carl couldn't block it. No matter how many times we ran it, I knew I was supposed to go inside his left shoulder, and I knew that Carl could not block it properly. So every time we ran the play, I went outside his right shoulder, and I always gained yardage. And, and I that's got you, and Tiki doesn't. I'm not Tiki. A Barkley doesn't have that right now. He's got three different offensive linemen in front of him, and they have absolutely no confidence or a chemistry or assertiveness of what each other's going to do. So therefore, Barkley and his jump step and his hesitation and everything you thought you saw the other night, that has to do with the fact that he has absolutely no idea right now of how that line's going to block for him. That's what that's about. It's not about him having happy feet. Well, the other aspect, too, about Monday night is the fact that more often than not, there was penetration by the time he got the handoff. So if there's any game we probably shouldn't be overanalyzing about his footwork, it's probably the Monday night game against the Steelers. Very true. He really didn't have much time to operate and even assess the blocking because before you knew it, he was brought down as a result of multiple Steelers in his face. Yeah, yeah. So, Don, please don't don't misconstrue it, okay? Just please don't. I completely agree with both of you guys about about week one. But we have at least two years of footage to see what Barkley does. I see what I see just like other people see with other players. And I understand Hayward was blasting up the middle of that offensive line. But there were also times that there were sweeps and other stuff like that. So, gentlemen, we can agree to disagree on that. It's just what I see, whether you think it's fact or not. Well, I'll leave well, it there, at that. Well, there are a lot of – I guess what I'm saying to you is there are a lot of factors that only experienced football people who have been around a long time can understand. That's what we're here to try to bring that and, stuff to light for you guys. And I'm completely aware of that, Dot. I'm just telling you what, what we're seeing in Barkley. It's there. You see the flaws there. Tiki Barber was spot on with what he was saying. There's nothing wrong there. But let me go on to the next topic, guys. Real so quick, yeah, what else you got? If there's anything, I don't want people to start freaking out over this first game. Now, Dot, you said something yesterday that it was the per- worst possible matchup for the Giants to, to really up bad the Steelers one. in really week one. Really bad one. See, for me, this is where I disagree with you. I thought it was the best possible matchup to start in week one. This way, you get a good gauge of how far you have to go. By seeing what I saw on week one, I was very happy and pleased with what I saw. They were in that game. And if Jones didn't do those turnovers, we might have been looking at a different game. So, for me, I'm glad they played Pittsburgh first. You got a good gauge of where you're at. Now, I know there's a lot of panic as far as this next game. I don't think you had to panic on the first game. PDOT, if they lose this next game, you should start panicking because you have a hobbled Niner team coming in, a beatable Rams and beatable Cowboy team. This is a must-win, must this game, too. All right, guys. Thank you. Okay, no, right, no. Don, before you go anywhere, I want to. I want to tell you. I think. I think you're half right on that because I agree with you. This okay. was a great gauge for the Giants to understand how they match up against an elite team in the league. So on That's that right. point, I totally concur with you. 
But if you wanted to win your first game out of the box, this was the worst matchup that you could have come across. So, oh, I agree. So to be perfectly frank, we were both right in that regard. All right. All right, guys. Have, have a good, a good one. one. All right, Don. Thanks for the phone call. I think also the other thing that you got to keep in mind is this is a very much week-to-week league. And while I get the point about, well, if you're competitive and competing with a team one week, that that's an indication of what's going to happen the next week, I don't buy that. Because things could go very differently, Paul, as we've seen time and time again. We've seen teams rise to the occasion against elite defenses and stronger teams, then all of a sudden struggle against the inferior teams. So I need to see more of a sample size before I'm convinced that Team A can compete with Team B or vice versa. I think you got to see a little bit more before you indicate that, well, because you were in a game in the fourth quarter, that means that you're going to be in a game every single week moving forward. That's not necessarily an indication. No, no, no doubt, no doubt. But his point being, and I understand it, you know, the Giants are in position to potentially take the lead late in the third quarter against an elite team. And, look, I don't know how many people thought the Giants would get hammered and blown out. Certainly, I think everybody with their logical football sense could have said, hey, the Steelers should be a solid favorite in the game. But the fact that the Giants were where they were and, you know, a crazy kind of play happened and then the roof caved in, yeah, I, I could understand why somebody might feel some comfort in that. It doesn't necessarily in any way translate to what's going to happen at Soldier Field. I'm with you on that, Lance, a thousand percent. Again, we're talking about a totally different matchup, totally different style of team, a, a different weight class in the boxing ring, if you will. This game, I will tell you, again, I don't want to say it's a must win, but this game is going to tell us a lot more about what this Giants team is than the game we saw on Monday night. Let's head back to the line. Scott is in New Mexico, joins us now on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Scott? Hi, guys. How are you doing today? Hi. You're right, Scott. What do you have for us? Uh, To be honest with you, I think both uh, you, Lance, and Paul have made some excellent points today, and I wish people would stop panicking about uh, some of the things that are going on with Evan Ingram. He's a tight end. He's always going to be a tight end, and I think this is just over panic at this point. But I wanted to, before I get to my main point, I wanted to ask you if either of you know the status of uh, whether Golden Tate is progressing enough that he'll be able to play on Sunday. He was listed as limited yesterday during the walkthrough, and uh, he, you know, practice is, is going to be going on actually now. Uh, while we're doing the program. So don't have any updates at this point. We certainly expect to have something in the next couple of hours. He, uh, you know, he went through all the the, um, warm-up drills uh, yesterday in the media portion that we were allowed to see. But, uh, again, you know, we don't have anything quite yet. Okay. Uh, My main point is this, and it has to do with the two coordinators. Uh, Obviously, I was disappointed in the results of the game. The uh, Giants played adequately, but uh, I think they have better in them. But there are two things that bothered me. Uh, Maybe you can set me straight. Uh, The score is what it was, but after uh, Jones threw that interception, which obviously was deflating, why wouldn't Patrick Graham gather his defense around? Because the score, if I remember, was still 16-10, to and there was still plenty of time left for the Giants to come back. 
Yeah, it seemed like they got deflated and allowed Pittsburgh to just march down the field. I know there was a potential fumble that they could have recovered but didn't. But would that be the time for a defensive coordinator to gather his group together and say, hey, guys, we're not going to let them get a first down? And well, who's to second, say that he didn't tell his team that, though? I don't, I don't know. That's why I'm asking the question. Well, uh, because, I mean, the I, don't, I wasn't on the sideline, Scott. And, so, and, you know, right. and nor was I. Yeah, so, so, it's so a, for us to put words in Patrick Graham's mouth. And I'm not trying to do misleading. it either. I'm just trying yeah. to see. It seemed like there was an overall deflation instead of what I'm getting at is the spirit or the things that really matter about a great defense, whether what team you're on, is they're not good. Like if you reverse the situation, that was Pittsburgh that w- that had done that. I would believe Pittsburgh would just get just tougher and just not allow them to do anything. And I sort of got the sense that the Giants sort of gave up a little bit. It's just my perspective. I'm not saying that's actually happened, but that's what I would lo- like not to see. And then the other side of the equation uh, that I hopefully you can give me some insight in, uh, this isn't the first time that uh, Jason Garrett has seen eight-man fronts and so forth because he had a sensational back as well with Ezekiel Elliott, and I'm sure it came up in numerous games with him. Obviously, the, defense, the offensive lines were different, so I, I get that. But he didn't seem to have an answer for it. And I know, Paul, you addressed the two- and three-package tight ends, but, and they didn't block anybody either, as you, as you uh, adroitly said. But what can they do as they go into games? Because this kind of um, – teams will look at what happened in this game and will try to mimic some of the things that other teams do, which you know is always the way. And as to some Lance, degree, to some degree, right. when they don't have that kind of personnel, it's hard to truly mimic it, and teams aren't going to get too far out of their own comfort zone. But they will try to take some things from the recipe. Correct. I agree with you in that regard. So what what can Jason Garrett do, in other words, to sort of, uh, I don't know, uh, contradict some of the things that teams might want to do if they see, hey, let's let's keep Barkley out of the game because well, that's there are a couple things. A key ingredient. We mentioned it yesterday on the program. One is you could go to a more of a fullback-oriented offense right, and bring Elijah Penny in there. Yeah. Okay, that's one thing you could do. They didn't do a whole lot of that last week. Correct. And and so there's a changeup you could go with. Uh, another potential thing you could do, all right, on occasion, and they, they have shown Barkley outside uh, to line up. If you were to maybe on a few more occasions run him out to the boundary or run him out into the slot, and they, again, they've shown that, but they haven't, like, really made it part of their repertoire, you will then start forcing the defenses to adjust to that type of, of alignment, which could make them kind of into a, uh, forced into an uncomfortable situation for a matchup. Now, that's not going to necessarily give you Barkley running the ball out of the backfield, right. but you will create different mismatches that they don't necessarily want to be involved in, and you may force that defensive coordinator into maybe a substitution that he's going to anticipate sometime later on in the game. That would be another way you could deal with it. And then the third way you could deal with this is sometimes when you want to go to your three tight end package because you want to go heavy, as they say, a heavy formation. Right. What about going double tight end and then bringing in the third, uh, a third tight end as an extra offensive lineman instead of a third tight end? And, and that, that makes sense, yes. And, uh, and that's why I was asking the question, because it seemed like Grady, uh, excuse me, that Garrett didn't have any answers for what Pittsburgh was doing. And, and, and as I 
talked about, I think, in an early broadcast, it's all about adjustments, how you adjust, because they were doing it in the first half. And I, I don't know why the adjustments weren't made in the second half. But well, here's I'm not the interesting part, to... though. Hold on, Steve. Here's the interesting sure. part. The third quarter drive that we've, that we've all talked about that ended right. with, with the interception down at the goal Correct. line, I mean, look at what the Giants did. They ate nine minutes off the clock. Correct. They ran over 15 plays to go right down the field. I mean, I think to say that they made no adjustments at halftime, I don't know if that's really an accurate thing to say because they dominated the third quarter. The problem is they didn't get any points out of it. Right, But, do but you they know moved the ball, pre- didn't they? Do you know how many pressures they had, in other words, on Jones and Hurries? Well, I'm looking, I'm, looking at my, I'm looking at my notes from the game right now. And well, I can tell you they only had one negative play on that drive, too. That's it. And that was right. the first Barkley run. After Correct. that, they didn't have any negative That's plays. That's so it. So they were clearly adjusting to whatever pressure was in his face. And Jones, remember, made that great throw across his body on a fourth right. and one where he threw to Barkley for the first down. So, I mean, the adjustments may have not been clean all the time, but they were certainly executing, Scott. Okay. You don't and put by the way, there were no sacks on that drive you either. That. You know that, Lance? Yeah. No sacks on the drive either. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, they, they so, found a way to overcome whatever the Steelers right. were doing. Now, now, part of it was Daniel Jones going off script. Remember, he scrambled twice on that Correct. drive. Forget so, you know, you down. have to give credit sure. to the players. And, and that Correct. gets back to Scott. You know, you talk about Jason Garrett making adjustments. Well, part of adjustments is also the players themselves saying, okay, well, earlier in the game when the Steelers gave me this look, I held on to the ball too long. This time I'm going to get rid of the ball. You know, sometimes right. it's the players making adjustments That's as true. much as it is the coordinator too. And, you know, right. once that, that interception happens and the Steelers come away with a field goal, now it's a two-score game early in the fourth, right? And the right. Giants, after a really sweet uh, kick return by uh, – uh, I'm sorry, not a sweet kick return. It was a kickoff that was out of bounds. Lewis watched it go out of bounds. So right. now they're starting at their own 40-yard line. And I'm saying to myself, okay, let's see what the Giants' offense does. If you want to complain about anything – you can complain about that particular series because Shepard catches a five-yard pass. Barkley goes wide for minus one. They get no blocking on the play. And then on third and six, there's a, a, a zone blitz, and one of the DBs comes in and sacks yeah, Daniel Jones. Mike Hilton, their slot corner, Bingo. came in on that one. And now, yeah. and now the, so the Giants are three and out, and to be perfectly frank with you, at that point the horse is out of the barn, and they're not going to come back and win that game. Okay. And well, Scott, I pre- appreciate the yeah, insight, guys. Thanks. You got it. Thanks for the phone call. I mean, those were the two back-breaking possessions because of the fact that you had two straight missed opportunities. You had the lengthy drive. You didn't walk away with any points, not even a field goal. And then the Steelers give you another gift because of a special teams mishap by a veteran kicker, and you can't even pick up one first down. So, and, I mean, that's the, the ball way, game right there. On that because, Hilton blitz, yeah. the Steelers came with a seven-man pressure package. There you go. Did they it know what they were from, doing or what? <laughs> of course. Well, I mean, that's a veteran team also, by the way. And guys no that doubt. have played with one another. And we said that coming in. Steelers had an advantage because the personnel groupings were pretty much a duplication of 2019. But that's how a 16-10 game became 26-10. Two right. missed opportunities for the Giants right. and then two capitalizations by the Pittsburgh Steelers. Right. That's how you twist that game upside down. If you Let's want to back. take anything out of the fourth quarter that you can build on, and I know it's garbage time at that point, but the Giants to come back, what, 13 plays, 75 yards, and, of course, Jones uh, hits Slayton for his second touchdown catch of the day. I will tell you this. I thought that was a good sign. 
because it did show effort. It did show fight. Sure. You could say all you want about the Steelers laying back. That's fine. But the Giants did not look disinterested. They were down. They were, in all, in all honesty, they were out of the game at that point. But they continued to show focus and spark and energy and effort. And Daniel Jones led them down the field on a very nice drive. I mean, again, 13 plays. It was methodical. It wasn't like it came on one big play and that was it. And they were lucky. He had to engineer a very carefully crafted drive, got them the touchdown. And, you know, as funny as it sounds, if they get the two-point conversion, they're down by a score with a minute and a half to go. And now you got to try the onside kick. And maybe people are starting to watch the final minutes of the game again. Um, but, hey, it is what it is. And uh, let's, let's, let's see what happens now at Soldier Field, where I truly believe, you know, Scott wants to see adjustments. Let's see what these teachers on this coaching staff come up with in week two. Craig is in Florida. He joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Craig? What's going on, Lance? Paul, I just want to throw in the uh, Steelers, according to PFF. I don't know how much you guys put into that. But, you know, talking about the pressures, they said the Steelers had something around 22 pressures. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't, I don't take that as a big um, key or a big thing. You know, maybe it's holding the ball too long. But I still think our offensive line played good. I, you know, I just wanted to uh, question you and Paul, of course. Um, how would you try to cut those numbers down? I mean, would you try to double-team a guy like Khalil Mack, or would you run the more uh, multiple tight end sets? You know, what would you try to do to at least cut those pressures down and maybe give Daniel a, uh, you know, a little more time in the pocket? Well, the only thing I would say to you is this. I agree with you. I thought the pass protection was okay the other night. I mean, again, you have to take into consideration what the Steelers were doing, the talent that the Steelers put on the field, and obviously the Giants with three-fifths of a brand-new offensive line. You have to grade that on a curve and say, okay, how do you seriously consider uh, their performance, and, and can you build off of it? Now, there's no doubt that they're going to change some of their play calling and some of their schemes this week because they're facing a different team with vastly different players. But the other thing that they could do, and I, and, and I will tell you this, did you notice that when the Giants went up-tempo in the game the other night, they seemed to find a little bit more of a rhythm? Yeah, how yeah about they had them per- Right? Did you see that? So how about uh, one of my suggestions for J- Jason Garrett would be maybe try that earlier in the game. And see, see if you can get some of that going and maybe keep the Bears on their heels and, and see if you can get some momentum that way. That, that might be another option. I, I think a lot of it also depends on what I emphasized earlier, Craig. If Robert Quinn plays, I think that changes everything for the Bears because you have Akeem Hicks as your interior defensive lineman who I'm not saying is Cam Hayward, but he has the ability to get after the quarterback and stop the run. And then what that could do to open up things for Mack and Quinn is very dangerous. If now you take Quinn out of the equation and it's really Hicks and Mack, it's a little bit different because now Garrett can maybe focus more attention on Mack. Whereas when Mack and Quinn are both in, well, if you overemphasize Quinn, now Mack has favorable matchups. And I will say this. I went back and I was watching that Lions game. Mack may have not shown up in the box score with a unbelievable game, but there was at least two or three plays where he was a fingertip away from getting at Matthew Stafford, and Stafford just so happened to get rid of the football. So that's another example of, and Paul and I were talking about this yesterday, Mac may have not had monster numbers since that Giants game, coincidentally, which was his last forced fumble, 
but he is more than capable of triggering in the blink of an eye. So a lot to me depends on if Robert Quinn plays in this game for the Bears because that's the equivalent all of a sudden of having a TJ Watt on one side and a Bud Dupree on the other. When you have both of them, it now creates that much more of a different challenge compared to when you just have one. Mac did have a couple of pressures in the fourth quarter that I noticed, but I agree with you, Lance. I do think, and Judge made comment earlier today about it, if Quinn is in there, it does make a significant yeah. difference. And appreciate the phone call, Craig. Do you guys yeah, value real the quick. pressures? Um, do you guys value the pressures as back? You know, 22 is a lot, and I'll hang up and I'll go. But, I mean, does, I mean, do you mind giving up that many pressures, or is it, like, more about sacks for you guys? No, p- well, pressures, no, hits, and sacks are all cumulative. Sure. To be perfectly honest with you, I mean, I, I don't necessarily think sacks are the only story, and so many people do, and I understand that. But the, the hits and the pressures are certainly all part of the, the ingredients to, to make that pizza. I will say this, okay? I will say this. I am much more concerned about quarterback hits than I am pressures. Hits hits make a quarterback hurt. He doesn't like bumps and bruises. Pressures are one thing, but hits, that that takes it into a whole other category. You know, when, when the Niners pummeled Eli Manning in that playoff game some years back, and and he was hit twelve times. That's not a good number. And appreciate the phone call, Craig. I think all three are important. I mean, the quarterback can certainly take a toll on the quarterback. But the reason why I think the pressures are important is because from a defensive side of things, psychologically, I want to get in the head of the opposing quarterback. And if the opposing quarterback is noticing, boy, this offensive line, my guys up front are having a tough time, I want him to start thinking about, getting rid of the football quicker or maybe throwing it in the direction oh, of Oh, he'll personnel. think about that more when he's picking himself up off the ground with bumps and bruises and his back and his arm and his elbow and his ankle are all hurting because sure, he's been but, pummeled into the ground. I agree with you, Lance. I think all three are important, but in order, in order, pressures to me is the third one. That's the last one of the three. Well, you can rank them however you want. The bottom line is all three of them are giving something the quarterback to think about. And yes. If I'm a defensive I coordinator, I want the opposing quarterback to be thinking twice about where he wants to go with the football or thinking twice about getting rid of the football too mm-hmm. quickly to give my guys an opportunity to finish. So that's why I'll take all three. You could prioritize them however you see fit. Sacks are certainly the most attractive. I think from a contractual standpoint, agents will tell you they want their clients to pick up the sacks because it's easier to sell to the GM. But if you have a guy that gets <laughs> a lot of quarterback are. hits and pressures, you're not complaining, at least if you're a defensive coordinator. No, Let's, I'm with you. And, yeah. and look, it's why we talk about Leonard Williams all the time. He gets quarterback hits and he gets pressures, but he has not been finishing off and getting enough of sacks. He finally got one last week, which is a really good thing for him. Uh, I, look, again, all three are, are important. I totally agree with you, Lance. I do think that in ranking them, pressures are last. But if you don't want to rank them, that's okay. They, all three are definitely necessary if you're going to have a good defense. Let's try to squeeze in one more call before we wrap up shop. Charlie's in Portland, Maine. What do you have for us, Charlie? Hey, Paul. Hey, Lance. Hey, Hi. I was glad that. Uh, hey, I, I was glad that Art Donovan asked the question that I tweeted him to. Uh, to Judge, which was about, um, you know, when Judge said, don't ask me what they can't do, just tell me what they can do well. And I'm sure on EE's list, Ingram's list, 
I don't think blocking is on the things that he can do very well. And so to me is like, and, and, you know, Judge gave an answer. Yeah, well, one game is not enough to see that. I need a couple of games. And if that's probably still happening, then maybe we'll have to change some of the things we're asking them to do. And, I, you know, I don't think anyone's saying take Ingram off the field. At least I'm not. What I'm saying is watch how Chicago will use Graham. They're not going to have Graham trying to block a defensive end or outside, you know, outside uh, pass rusher linebacker. That's not what he's going to do. What they want him to do, he can block safeties, he can block cornerbacks. You know, that's what they're going to have him catch the ball. And and to me, that's what we need to have Ingram do. I don't care if you call him a tight end or you want to call him a wide receiver. That's what he needs to do. Utilize him like other teams utilize tight ends that don't block very well and just do that and as far as Barkley's concerned look if Barkley's having a hard time picking up blitzes which I think he'll get better at and do but if you know the last caller was right his body language is he doesn't want to hit anybody then you do this you bring in Penny or you or you bring in Lewis you put them in the backfield you take out one of the tight ends and you put Barkley like Paul put him in the slot put him outside and make a you know matchup nightmare for the other team. Utilize his strengths. His strength is give him the damn ball. That's his strength. You know he doesn't have to be the blitz guy. It doesn't mean you take him out of third downs and sit him on the bench. Utilize his strengths. Utilize Ingram's strengths. And when we start doing that and seeing what these players can actually do, and if Judd really means that, which I think he does, he just wants more time to evaluate it then that's what we'll end up doing, and we'll be using our players, their strengths, and not trying to put the player in a square peg in a round hole, trying to make them do stuff because, quote-unquote, he's a tight end. There's not too many tight ends like you know uh, Gronk that can block and can catch passes. There's not too many of those guys. Kelsey isn't one of those guys, but he catches passes. He isn't a good blocker. So just realize who you have. Realize... You know, I just don't understand why, you know, they try to make somebody into something they're not. And to me, I would take Nick Gates out of the center position, put him on back at tackle, the right tackle, make Fleming your swing guy because that's who he is, and, and put in Pulley or bring in another, you know, veteran center. And then I think you'll see that we'll have a better offensive line that maybe can actually run block. And if Hernandez is having another bad year, I'm not saying just one game, but if two or three games down the road he's stinking it up, then you've got some guys you can put in. You can put in Lemieux. You can put in Slade. You, you know, you can change this thing up. You know, yeah, but they're not going to utilize... do that after one game, Charlie. They're just no, not going to do that No, I know. I, I didn't game. say that. So... I, I didn't say that. I didn't say after one game, Lance. If you listen, I said... I am listening. Charlie, I'm listening to every word you're saying, but you've also okay, been singing okay. the same tune last year, too. It's becoming the same thing all over again. You want Pulley out, so they bring in Gates. Now you want Gates out, so you want to bring Pulley back in. So, in fairness, I'm getting tired of hearing the game of paddle ball that goes on every single year. Hey, Lance, how was our offensive line do, do last year, and how is it doing this year so far? I've got one and game, and who, wait a minute, who's crowning know, the offensive game, line? Who I is said. crowning the I offensive line, game. Charlie? Where did you hear those words come out of any of our mouths? Who's giving a parade to the offensive line? I'd like to know when that was said. I didn't, I didn't say you were. Okay, all so, I, then, so what's I your point stating, then? My point is that if this continues, we need to change personnel. And I hope 
judge is quick on the finger of doing that than the other coaches that we had who never changed anything. Charlie, I'm sure he will always try to put the best five on the field each and every week, no matter what their names are. I think you can be rest assured. we got to run, man. We are so far over time right now. Be well. All right, Charlie. Oh, boy. It's like every single time. (laughs) Same thing over and over again. He's he's frustrated. I understand. And I get it. But once again, these changes are not going to happen after one game. They're going to have to see a little bit more before they start saying, hey, you know what? We can't salvage this. We can't keep that guy in that spot. And the other thing is when you have two running backs on the field, you're taking somebody else off the field. And I don't know if Jason Garrett wants to have two running backs on the field. Remember, Dallas did not utilize a fullback. If you look at the snaps for their fullback, he was in about 10% of the plays. Mm -hmm. So it really depends on Garrett's philosophy of whether or not he wants to put two backs, whatever, if it's two running backs or a running back and a fullback on the field more often than not. If that's not his style or he doesn't think this roster puts them in a good position to do that, then I don't think he's going to do that. That's the other thing that I think, once again, can't be dismissed, the track record of the coordinator and what he's most comfortable doing. With that being said, yeah. That's going to wrap things up for us here on Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We'll be up and running again tomorrow at noon Eastern. You can stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest. For Paul Dettino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday. We'll speak to you tomorrow. Have a good one.